Happy Sunday, Graham Norton here from the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. <gasps> what a show we have for you. Adam Kay is talking about his memoir, Undoctored, and brand new show at the Edinburgh Fringe. Undoctored, oh, this is going to hurt more. Virgin Radio's very own drive time host, Ricky Wilson, joins us live from Glastonbury. We're dusting off the wheel for another spin on our snappily titled What's in the Waitrose Hessian Bag Competition? Show chef Martha Collison has one of her best recipes and this week it's <gasps> eclairs. And as always, Maria McCurlane's rustling through your letters so she's ready to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide along with her top tips for Glastonbury. How are you, Graham Norton? Are you well? I'm very well, very well, uh, enjoying the sunshine. Now, the, the, you are much more seagoing than I am. Yes. Uh, we got a yes. text earlier from Ellie in Brighton, who's got a sea shoes, and she was kind of bracing herself for the chilly weather. But the, the sea is not cold anymore, is it? No, I mean, not by sort of Mediterranean standards. It's still a bit chilly, but uh, it's 17, 18 degrees. But we did have a red flag yesterday because of the jellyfish, um, which seemed to have taken up residence on the shoreline. But um, some brave souls who went in, as I said, it's just really a, a bit of a stingy nettle. Um, but, are you sure? <laughs> well, are you the, Are you one of the brave souls who went in? I did, yes. And did you get stung? <laughs> Uh, yes, (laughs) but it's only stinging nettle, as I said. Okay. I just feel if the red flag goes up, surely they mean there's something quite ouchy out there. You got Well, I think at the weekends you get a lot of children and, you know, they can get a bit hysterical, can't they? Oh, and they just start crying and, oh, yeah. yeah. It's very sad, um, Graham, (laughs) that it would have been 60th birthday of George Michael and he probably would have been headlining with... Elton John at Glastonbury. It's sad, isn't it? But there you are. He gave us, he left a legacy and no mistake. But I watched Glastonbury, so you don't have to. Um, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> you know I didn't. <laughs> I know you didn't. Um, and of course, you know, festivals are fabulous because you get all of the atmosphere and the craziness. But now Glastonbury is so big, it's, you know, the size of Newcastle and you can do a million steps. It takes you ages to get from stage to stage. So I just have two tips for people who want to watch on the catch-up because the coverage has been very good and the two tips I have for you to watch um, obviously Friday night Foo Fighters were very good but yesterday Rick Astley uh, I know who'd have thought I'd been yes. saying this um, was it's it's joyful his set was absolutely joyful he played the drums he did ACDC <laughs> um, he covered lots of um, the Smiths songs Morris's stuff Wow! and he sang As It Was by Harry Styles and a fabulous kind of uh, upbeat version of Never Gonna Give You Up with kind of drums and I, you know it was joyous I think he wins uh, Glastonbury for me so do catch up on that one if you're so inclined and the other one was oh Graham Lewis Capaldi who we love anyway yes uh, was in such you know got himself in a bit of a lather you know he has Tourette's he was had his ticking his body was sort of convulsing and his voice was going I mean he did not do a lot of gigs before Glastonbury to save himself but his voice was going and the crowd just, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. The crowd just lifted him up and sang his song for him, um, back at him. And he was, you know, incredibly moved while his body was shaking. I, You just think, you know, what a horrible world it is, blah, blah, blah. And then kindness somehow rescues you. And it was 
really joyous to see. I mean, I do hope he sorts himself out and takes some time off. But well done, the Glasto crowd, for word perfect, sound perfect, singing back at Lewis Capaldi. If anybody saw it, you will know what I mean. Yeah, no, I saw, I saw a little clip of that, and it was just beautiful. Lewis Capaldi's face as that, that whole audience were kind of re- reflecting him. It does make you think, at, yeah. Graham, doesn't it? That the whole fame thing and, you know, chasing number ones and hits and all the stuff that goes with it and the money that people make. Is it worth it sometimes? You know, wouldn't you like to ha- just have a nice life and be a Scottish boy doing, making up songs and playing in small clubs? That's possibly what he should yeah, I guess the do thing for is, a little one. What you can't, you can't set the dial for the level of success you'd like. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I often say everyone wants to be successful. No one wants to be Adele, you know, because it's, it, that, that, it's, too, it's much. too much. It's too much. Or David much. Beckham. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I David Beckham mind. can't no, go anywhere in the world. Can you go anywhere in the world, Graham, without people recognising you? You know I can. And also, <laughs> what I've what I've cleverly done is aged horribly. So uh, that that's my tip. Stop <laughs> that's, it. That that's my tip to David Beckham. Yeah. Let yourself go, David. No one will know who you are. No, no. I think you look better now than you did when you were 30. There, I said it. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Virgin Radio. Ah, we get to the Uh, meat of the matter. The meat of the matter. Letter number one. Yes, I'll get straight on it, Graham. Right Oh, yes. Dear Graham and Maria, (laughs) recently my boyfriend has made some hurtful comments about the way I dress telling me the clothes that I wear are boring and unflattering and that he misses how I used to dress when we first got together three years ago. I've put on weight since then and I feel much more comfortable now wearing basic comfy clothes and I'm much healthier both physically and mentally than I ever was back then. This all came about when I was having a clear out and I looked back at the clothes I was wearing when I was going out much more, restricting what I was eating and working out relentlessly and I don't miss them at all. He clearly does, however. I don't know whether it's my style that he doesn't like or whether it's related to my weight, but I just don't want to wear tight, form-fitting clubbing clothes all the time. I don't think that's so crazy. What should I do? And that's from Erin in Sheffield. Erin in Sheffield, no. Just no. No, no, no to your boyfriend. You know that song, You Raise Me Up? That's what he should be doing. He should be raising you up and this is not that. He, you know, any kind of criticism, especially about appearance, can be really damaging. If you've put on a bit of weight, you're probably feeling a bit vulnerable about it anyway. Now, I think, Erin from Sheffield, you should tell him what you told us, which is that you weren't healthy then. You were restricting your food intake, working out relentlessly. You didn't have a good relationship with your body. This is very important that he knows that because an idle, casual comment about, you know, you don't dress as sexily, yada, yada, yada. Well, you know what? Too bad. He loves you not the clothes you wear. And if that's not the case, then go and find somebody in a bodycon dress um, that you can show off with. I mean, I really, this makes me a little bit crazy, Graham, because 
it's just those tiny little simple comments that can cause eating disorders, that make people have very bad relationships with food. Erin seems to have got it together. Listen, Erin, if you feel like it on those, you know, sexy evenings in, then, you know, put on your bodycon dress, put on a little something with the cleavage and the legs and something. And if you feel like it, if you want to do dress up and play up, etc. But you must not feel compelled to wear anything other than what you are wearing. And you really must explain this to your partner that he is really going barking up the wrong road or whatever the phrase is here because it's damaging to you and anybody else that's feeling the same way don't listen to people who say oh you know you're you're you've chubbed up a bit you're not so sexy as you used to be shut up already yeah i mean well isn't it i mean three years i it well i think it's interesting is that he started dating someone who was less healthy physically and mentally. You exactly. know, Aaron's Aaron's in a much better place now, but it's like he wants the woman who is in a worse place. And you know that this, you know, you say this is a casual comment. I think he's geared up to this. I think he's been, he's been wanting to say this for a while. Uh, so it, now it's out in the open. It's, I, I, it's going to fester, I think, Aaron. And I think you need to kind of go, look, Let's, you know, because three years, it is a long time, but it's not a long time. So I, I think you kind of go, look, if you don't want to date this version of me, then let's call this quits because this is who I am now. And I'm not going back to, you know, the the nightclubbing Dolly Bird lady any anytime soon. So don't start dreaming of her return. It's not going to happen. And then uh, sensible adult decisions could be made because maybe he doesn't want to go out with this version of Aaron. But Aaron is very happy being this this version of Aaron. I would say. Yeah. So she's yeah, in a much may... better place mentally and physically. Yeah. What and I'm trying to say is, it's more... over. It's over. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, it's, you know, the, the terrible thing about that, Graham, is you know, yes, it probably is over, and then Erin will be really sad, and then she'll go on the heartbreak. Well, she won't be. She, you know, enforced heartbreak diet, and then she'll bump into him in a club, and he'll go, "There you are. That's <laughs> the one I wanted." And that's the awful thing about this. No. <laughs> yeah, I want him to look in the mirror and, you know, I'm guessing that he hasn't probably aged as well in the three years because men do this, Graham. I mean, I hate to say men do this, women do it too, but uh, it's that thing of, oh, yeah, you're not the arm candy that I wanted. And you think, have a look at yourself, mate. You've got a beer belly. You haven't shaved for days. You've got three chins. You're going bald or whatever. But if you love somebody, you love them for all of those things. You've grown together. You've grown literally physically oh, and I, mentally I, t- <laughs> together. Though the sofa's and, groaning. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's such, it's kind of gaslighting on his behalf to say, you know, it's a sort of veiled threat, isn't it? When you say he's been planning this for a while, quite possibly. Because, you know, he wants the Dolly Bird back. Well, tough. I don't uh, like him. I think I think Aaron's going to get a lot of support from the listeners. Let's kick things off with Nicky in Neston. Dump him. Walk away. Okay. If asked, a man, and for that matter, the same applies to everyone, can offer his opinion on what his partner looks good in. However, he should never criticise what the partner feels happy wearing and should never offer his opinion without being asked, especially if the partner is happy and healthy. Ooh, he feels very strongly. Um, 
I think you should use the words of Amy Poehler and tell him, I wasn't put on this earth to be cute for you. This is what I tell my three daughters and my son, and I think it's important that men are taught that what we wear is none of their business. Maybe he just misses the excitement of a new relationship, and you can both work on bringing back some zing, hello, but otherwise I'd move on to somebody with more respect or nobody at all. There you go. Nobody, nobody would be better than Aaron's boyfriend. And that's uh, good luck from Emma. Uh, Alice in Leicester says, Aaron, red flag alert. You are a woman, not a coat hanger. It's great that you are in a better place with your physical and mental health. No relationship is worth a knock to your self-esteem. If your boyfriend cannot appreciate that, then his loss. It may be that you have outgrown the relationship if your boyfriend is not willing to appreciate the healthier, happier you. Uh, Carolyn Liverpool cannot believe the boyfriend is critical of her appearance. How dare he? She could automatically lose 160 pounds, 70 kilos uh, by dumping him. Uh, that's a conservative guess. I know what you mean. Uh, get rid. And final word to Tyler in Guildford. Maybe your partner is trying... Oh, bless. Tyler Guildford is quite the half-glass-full person. Maybe your partner is trying to raise you up. You say you've put on weight and you've changed your style, but maybe he is saying you are still sexy to him. Uh, rock the body you have because we're all beautiful. Bless uh, Tyler in Guildford. What a lovely world they live in. Graham's Guide. Problem the second, please. Yes, here it is. Dear Graham and Maria, I think my mum is getting bullied at work and I don't know how to help her. She's been a teacher for most of her adult career and has always loved it. When I go to see her every Saturday, we usually have a good gossip about everything going on, including the funny things her kids have been getting up to. But for the past few months, she she seemed increasingly resigned and avoids answering questions about work. Last week, I told her that she needed to tell me what was going on, as it was clearly having an impact on her. She finally told me that she was probably being silly, but two of the teachers at the school were making fun of her in the staff room when she walked in, and some of the kids in her class had made jokes about her being old and stupid. My mum's had a long time in the business and is obviously used to kids making ridiculous comments, but when she told them off, they said it was fine because Miss So-and-so had said it. And this has happened on several occasions with other comments. So these are clearly being fed down to the children by other teachers. I know bullying is sadly something generally expected to happen in schools, but surely not between teachers. She doesn't want to say anything, but it's making her miserable. What can I do? And that is from Declan in Oxford. Oh, Declan in Oxford. I mean, if we're going to teach our children not to be bullies... How do we do that if we're in the same position? She really has to speak up about this. Um, You know, A, she will feel much better for it. And B, you cannot have teachers, other teachers, uh, telling children, you know, giving their various opinions about your mum to the children. This is just so unprofessional. And of course, children pick it up. And if Miss So-and-so has said it, then it's all right to say it. Uh, it really has to be stopped. And I, Look, it's a school. What do you do? Do you go to the headmaster, headmistress? I think you have to. And or you have a word in the staff room with the teachers you heard talking about you in the staff room. And you say, look, this has got to stop. The 
children are now repeating what you say and how are we meant to stop bullying amongst the children if they are seeing it amongst their teachers. It's a really poor message. But I think your mum has to really be brave on this one. She has been in the business a long time and experience counts for a lot. She has to be brave and she has to stand up for herself some way or other, either with the teachers or with the head, or we always say human resources, but I doubt that exists. What do you think, Graham? Well, do you know what? I, what struck me was, if she's a teacher, an experienced teacher, and obviously good at her job, she's doing it a long time, bring those skills into the staff room. You know, if this was happening in your classroom, if Declan's mom was having this in a classroom, she would stamp it out, root it out, she'd sort it out she she would have those skills she know she would know how to do it i'd say do that in the in the in the classroom because in the staff room rather because in my in my tireless charity work maria i ended up uh, visiting several schools and what strikes me is when you go into a staff room that the the kind of school atmosphere like when you're in school you just think oh all the teachers are the teachers they're in there but when you, as an adult you go in you realize everyone's at school the, the school yeah. atmosphere pervades the cl- the staff room and there are little yeah. cliques and they're the young teachers who've just qualified and they're all giggling together and they feel much more like students. There's the older ones. There's the, the PE teachers all gathered around in their sweatpants. It's it's so schooly in the, in the staff room. So I can yeah. imagine, I can so imagine how this has happened. But I just think, I think use your turns, teacher skills, th- use your teaching skills. Yes, but I think what's happened is this has played in to Declan's mum's own insecurities about being an older teacher. You know, just remember you have all this experience and you put it to good use and it counts. It counts for a lot. But, you know, when you are hearing these things and, oh, you're old and stupid and you should be put out to grass, etc., etc., you it starts to permeate, you know, a bit like the f- first problem. It permeates in and then it drags your confidence down. So you must tell your mum, Declan, that she has to remember what a good teacher she is and if she wasn't a good teacher she wouldn't have been doing it for so long and she has to nip this in the it sounds like the bud has already bloomed but she has to stop this immediately also Declan I would find out why they're saying this did she embarrass herself at a staff meeting did you know did she inadvertently say something gormless uh, in some sort of group setting why has she got this reputation it's it's very odd that suddenly you know these young teachers have ganged up on her it's it's very strange. Um, I'm sure lots of teachers listen to the show. I, I don't know. I'm just saying I'm sure that's true. So let's go with it. <laughs> you hope it's true. <laughs> I hope it's true. Love the teachers. The responses part two. Uh, Sally and Solly Hell, your mom should go directly to the younger teacher's line manager. They are breaking the teacher's standards and therefore shouldn't pass performance management. Hitting them in the pocket should stop them in their tracks. They're lucky to have her with all her experience. This behaviour needs to stop now, as it sounds like it's gone on a while. Best wishes to your mom. Yeah, I mean, it has to stop. And I I mean, I know she doesn't want to say anything, but actually say something. Because these teachers aren't her friends. So who cares if they fall out with her? Uh, teachers are listening. Oh, yes, I said teachers were listening. This is Joanne, teacher. If she feels she can't speak to the head teacher or tackle it in the staff room, which could be intimidating if she feels they're ke- if they'll keep mocking her, she could contact her union rep for advice. It could be uh, the rep for the region if there isn't one in her school. 
even if she's inadvertently embarrassed herself, staff shouldn't be t- talking to pupils about other teachers. Isn't that the truth, Joanne? Thank you very much. I work in a large school. This is Sue. This happens more often than you might think. She needs to take this as a grievance to HR or the head. She should write it so she has evidence she's reported it. It will be hard for her to win back the respect of the pupils now. Or maybe a large dose of laxatives in the staff room. No, that's a very bad idea, Sue. Uh, Poor lady, I wish you good luck. Sue, I'm surprised. Sue, I'm surprised at you, Sue. No. Uh, Jill in West Midlands. Working in a school is incredibly stressful. And it's very easy to feel isolated and vulnerable. Are there any other staff members in the school that she's close to? I advise that she confide in them and secure their support. This will give her the confidence she needs to work towards resolving the issue. Teaching is an incredibly hard career and many teachers drop out after a couple of years. To have done it for a lifetime tells me that she has the required toughness and fortitude. Well said, Jill in the West Midlands. And thanks for all of your responses today. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Martha Collison. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. I hear you've had a little bit of a stressy journey. <laughs> a few little trains. It was a long one this morning, but it's all good. We're here. You're here. We're here you're... and we've got the goods. I was going to say, you're here. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> the eclairs are here. Now, I, I heard you're making this and, you know, of all the things you've made over the years for us, you know, some very easy, like yesterday's pasta, very easy. But uh, I would have thought an eclair must be the most difficult thing you've attempted to teach us. Oh, that's a good question, actually. It's it's probably a, up there, but once you've mastered the shoe pastry, the shoe pastry world is your oyster. So you can be doing eclairs, you can be doing profiteroles, you can do it all. So it's worth mm. learning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, these, uh, I mean, when you, these, when you do these best recipes, it means that you've kind of looked at lots of different recipes. Uh, variations in eclairs, what are the variations? Yes, I've done a lot of research just into kind of the science behind shoe pastry, how we make it best at home, how we adapt it from kind of like professional hotel afternoon tea standard down into, right, we can make this in our home kitchens using our home equipment. Um, but shoe pastry is it's not as hard as it sounds. I actually think it's easier than to master than things like short crust and flaky like you're making in a quiche and things like that because it all gets mixed in a pan there's no kind of crumbling with your hands you don't have to get sticky fingers it's just quite nice it's quite a clean pastry to make um so i did a bit of studying into that and i've just to be honest the best eclairs are just classic aren't they you don't want to mess around too much when you go into that patisserie and you see coffee eclairs and chocolate eclairs that's what we're all going for we're not going for something fancy you can take the recipe and do what you want with it but i've just gone for a lovely chocolate ganache topping and some vanilla cream inside. Lovely. And have you taken any kind of, you know, Waitrose shortcuts? Have you gone, oh, I'll have that. Thank you very much. Do you know what? There's actually no shortcuts in this one. It's all kind of from scratch, but we're just doing a whipped cream inside. You can go extra fancy and make kind of custody creme patisserie, but we've gone we've gone simple. We've got to keep it achievable. We've got to keep it in an under two hours kind of time frame, you know. <laughs> okay. And what si- what size do you recommend your eclair be? Because, you know, sometimes you go into those cafes and the eclairs are, you know, the size of a log. <laughs> they can be enormous, can't they? I go for about a 10 centimetre, so I get my ruler out. 
<laughs> I pipe the first one next to my ruler, and then I just do all the rest a similar size to that. All right, let's uh, find out how to make these best declares so we can all comfort eat. Uh, what, how, where, where, where do you start? <laughs> I can't imagine. So we'll start with the shoe pastry. Shoe pastry is really good because it can be frozen. So even if you want to Claire's next weekend, you can start now. If you're worried about the process, start now, <laughs> and then you can have them next week. Um, but we're going to start. You take a saucepan. We're popping in there butter, sugar, salt, and water. Then you bring that to a rolling boil. Make sure it's nice and bubbly. Then our flour goes in. We're using a mixture of plain flour and strong plain flour, um, the kind that you'd use to make bread. But this just means that your eclairs are going to be much lighter and they'll be stronger. So it's a good little hack to make sure that your <laughs> eclairs don't fall apart in the oven. So once the flour goes in, you mix it, it will ball together, cook it for another minute to cook out some of the flour, then set that to one side to cool down. Beat some eggs in a jug and then using an electric whisk, because doing it by hand just is just takes way too long. <laughs> using an electric whisk, we're going to mix the eggs into the shoe dough until you get a nice runny consistency. Spoon that into your piping bag. And I always fit my piping bag for eclairs with a kind of like zigzaggy noddle, nozzle, a star nozzle, because this means that it will help it. It will help encourage it to open up in the correct way in the oven so you don't get funny shaped eclairs. Pipe okay. it into your long strips and it goes into a really hot oven, 200 degrees for 25 minutes. They should puff up and become lovely and golden. Then we're going to get them out, use a skewer just to pierce some little holes in to let the steam out. And then they go back into the oven, turn the oven off and just let them cool completely in there. And that's your shoe pastry done. Oh, can I just a question? A question for please, the back. Please go. Question for the back. Um, <laughs> do you need like you know like a bun tray? Do you, like a muffin tray, or are you just piping them on a plain uh, baking sheet? Just onto a plain baking sheet. They just go onto a baking tray. You don't need any, you don't need much specialist equipment for this. And if eclairs feel a little bit out of reach, I'd recommend profiteroles because you just need to make little tiny dollops on your tray. It's exactly the same recipe, um, and they're just a bit more forgiving if they're not quite the right shape. <laughs> Thank you for that tip. Okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, on on you go. So they're now cooling in the oven. Okay, we've so they're done cooling that. in the oven. Once they're cool, you're going to use a serrated knife to cut them in half. Then we are going to make our chocolate ganache icing. So this is just mm -hmm. some lovely Waitress Number One dark chocolate, some butter, and some golden syrup. Melt that until it's lovely and glossy and shiny over a pan of water. Then set that to one side. Whip yourself up some cream with a bit of vanilla and some caster sugar. And then we're going to pipe that into the eclair shells. Dip the top half into the chocolate. And then pop it on top, little lid, and they're done. So, so we've, we've you didn't just inject the cream in. You've you, you've cut them. You can do that. I feel like cutting them means you can because you can then see the cream. You know how much is going in. I feel like if you inject it, sometimes you can squeeze and think, oh, that one's really full. And then someone takes a bite, and it's just like a hollow, <laughs> a hollow shell. And nobody wants a hollow shell of an eclair. And when you say the freezing, do you freeze the uncooked shoe pastry or can you freeze the cooked shoe pastry? So I would freeze the cooked. So I would cook it, cut them into half and then put them in a freezer bag, stick them in the freezer and then they defrost in about 10 minutes. So you can literally pull them out of the freezer, fill them with cream and serve them as your dessert. Well, that's a good thing to have. Yeah, because you would feel quite fancy, wouldn't you, if you did that? Oh, yeah. you would. People would think you'd been in the kitchen for hours. Because presumably once you put the cream in, you better serve them up quite quickly. Yes, yes, they go soggy kind of within the day. You've got about a day, a day on them. But yeah, well, as soon as they have to go back into the fridge, really, they start to kind of meld into one texture rather than having lovely crisp pastry and that kind of chewy top. But yeah, you can do any flavour as well. You can put a little bit of raspberry through that cream, a bit of salted caramel, a few different, bit of lemon. The world is your oyster. Yeah. The one bit where I thought, oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to try this, <laughs> is when you put the flour into that saucepan. I just thought, that's just going to turn into gritty, gru that's going to be like porridge if oh, I do that. It's not as hard as it sounds. If you can make like a roux sauce, like a white sauce, you can easily make shoe pastry. 
Okay. I'm <laughs> I promise. Why I yada. I guess it's just paying attention, isn't it? Just whisking, whisking. And, and don't dump the flour in all at once. No, you can dump it in all at once. You can. That's the beauty of it. You just literally dump it in, give it a good mix, and it will even it will smooth itself out. That's all not right. that's if not the technical part. So, you if you say so, if you say so. If you want the full recipe, you can head to waitos.com slash showchef and find that recipe and indeed all of Martha's recipes. You can also check out the beautiful pictures of the eclairs on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Bye from now. Bye bye. Martha will be off on the next leg of her summer tour next week. But now for someone who is taking their show on tour to the Edinburgh Fringe this summer. Here is Adam Kay. Hello, Adam Kay. Hello, how are you? I'm really well. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm in awe of you and yet worried for you. You're going, <laughs> you're going back to the Edinburgh Festival. I am. I am all of August. First time I've done the full month since 2016. <laughs> yeah. Um, but last time I went up, um, I brought a, a, a box full of diaries and read out from those. And then a publisher was like, do you think you've got any more of that and we could make a book out of it? So that worked quite well. Uh, so I'm going up again with my new book, uh, Undoctored, as a, uh, as, a, as a show at the Pleasance Theatre. And we'll see what happens this time. But I like that you've got uh, undoctored. This is going to hurt more, as in, like, please, brand recognition. <laughs> oh, brand. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I mean, there's, there's a bit of that. And there's also the fact that anytime I, I read out from, from my new stuff, they're like, oh, can you do one of the... It's, I mean, it's like Elton's got the same thing. No one's going to be happy with his set if it's all stuff from the last three years. Well, where's Yellow Brick Road, mate? So I get a bit of that. So I have to, have to do... There's a story about degloving that people request for some reason, and I can't tell you. Uh, Please don't. Oh, Please no, don't. In fact, no. as, I, as, I was, as I was looking at the book, I was thinking, oh, that's a funny... No. no. Oh, that's funny. Oh, no. no. <laughs> it's, it's quite out there. Um, and when people return to the Edinburgh Festival, like you, a kind of conquering hero, trailing BAFTAs and things and bestsellers, uh, it is often just, you know, they do a weekend in a, in a big theatre. What was the idea between uh, are you, of doing the whole month? I just love the festival. I think it's absolutely amazing, and uh, I want to go up. I want to go up for the full month, see loads of shows myself, and also this time I'm travelling around in a Swarovski helicopter, so that makes it a lot more fun. Of course, yes, yes. You must be hoping the weather's going to break. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if you're going up to Edinburgh, you bring a you bring a range of clothing. <laughs> it's just those venues in the heat. Oh. It's uh, it's bad. Which one? Are you? You're at the Pleasance, aren't you? And the the Grand in the, in the Pleasance, which I believe is is air conditioned or oh, sort yes. of. It's, it's got some students at the back waving bits of yeah, paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I think when you when you're being flyered by people up on the on the Royal Mile, one of the main, main questions is: Is your venue too hot or too cold? <laughs> I went to see I went to see a stand up um, when I was there. I think two years ago, and she was performing in a shipping container. And Ooh. and there was a sort of heat wave on. It was. I just thought, no, I'm I'm pretty sure there's human rights about this. We, <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be in this. It, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Uh, the book, the on doctor, the second book. It. Uh, how are you describing? Because it's sort of it, there, there's bits of your time as a doctor, but it's sort of the journey from leaving medicine into becoming a, a best-selling author, right? I think it's that. It's it's half prequel, half sequel. So I go back all the way to medical school, which is something I didn't talk about uh, in This Is Gonna Hurt. And I think medical school is, you know, similarly disgusting and funny and weird and distressing. And then a bit about what happens when you 
blow your life up and leave uh, an inverted commas sensible profession like uh, like medicine and then my journey from from then to now which involved a lot of I'm going to say fairly unsuccessful uh, stand-up comedy gigs. Well, it's interesting at the beginning of the book when you're talking about, you know, your new career, you frame yourself as a writer, a struggling writer, because we now know you're a very successful writer. <laughs> but, but, but weren't you more of a stand-up? Or were you, did, did you, in your head, did you always think you were a writer? Well, I did... I. I did stand up, but as you'll know, when you when you declare yourself a stand up comedian, what you are basically is a driver. So uh, you've got to, you've got to, you live in wherever London, and you've got a gig in Durham, and so you drive to Durham for four hours. Uh, there isn't enough money uh, in the gig to pay for a hotel, so you drive straight back from Durham after fifteen minutes of someone staring at you on stage, and then uh, and so all that time in the car gave me a lot of thinking time uh, about what writing might be, and so I got into TV writing, uh, which uh, I, was, I was I was fine. I was earning a living, which is more than a lot of writers do. Uh, but I didn't get sort of successful until um, I started telling disgusting medical stories. And uh, so, uh, oh, so much to talk about. Uh, one is that that what struck me when you talk about hospitals, the funny stories are kind of invariably things going wrong. Or you know, or incompetence, or those are the the funniest things that happen in hospitals. And yet, it's quite scary when you see all those stories one after another in a book. Yeah, I think I think if I wrote uh, I wrote up all the patients that were a fair reflection of what happens on a label, it would be quite a boring book. Yes, did a, did a nice normal <laughs> cesarean section. Everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is the you know it is it is it is a super it is a supercut of the of the stuff, but uh, but yeah, I mean uh, it isn't like that uh, every day on on Labour Ward. Few, good to know, <laughs> good to know. But you have become this sort of unofficial uh, sort of champion of the NHS and a, a spokesperson. And I knew that you'd met with Jeremy Hunt, but in the book we discover that you had this strange relationship with Matt Hancock. I did. So as soon as uh, he got his gig as health secretary, lots of people tweeted him because he was big on, on Twitter and that to, um, to say, you need to read this, this book and show him a picture. This is going to hurt. And in fairness to the, to the guy, um, he said, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I've got it. I'll read it and come, come for a meeting. So I did. I went to uh, his, uh, his office uh, and uh, if I'd have known what I, we know now, I wouldn't have you know, touched the surfaces. Cause he, um, but... Uh, and he said, he said something very interesting, which was, if you could do one thing for healthcare staff, what would you do to, to improve things? And I wanted to say something achievable. So I mentioned the fact that, that the night before I was performing at the Garrick Theatre in the West End, and there was a, a poster in my dressing room which said, um, mental health helpline, if you've got uh, any problem with this, that or the other, free 24-hour um, phone number paid for you by union. I said there was no such thing for doctors. There was no way for doctors who were struggling to get that help. And he said, that doesn't sound right. I'll get my advisor to email you. And then the advisor emailed a couple of days saying, you know, you're right. Um, and so um, he then... Uh, announced uh, a big chunk of money to expand a programme that was just for London GPs to be for uh, for all doctors uh, all across the UK, and so um, that was that was, an, that was probably the thing I'm most most proud of um, because that's that's something I've done for the arts, which are obviously you know the arts are obviously valuable, but they're very different to saving a life on labour. But that's something I've done that has hopefully 
made a difference. You know, I will I will caveat that by saying uh, uh, Matt Hancock has done an awful lot more very, very bad things than that one good thing he did for me. But uh, in fairness to him, he did that. Yes, he did. I'm amazed. Uh, on the uh, Desert Island Discs, uh, mm. you didn't just choose music. You dropped a bombshell. You are now a daddy, uh, daddy Dr. Adam Kay. I am, yeah. I've got uh, two, two children who I, I, I mostly like. <laughs> and also, I'm not a I'm not a trained doctor myself, but they seem quite close together in age. They are. They're um, they're three months and and seven months. Um, they were born through surrogacy, uh, and our, our surrogates are two best friends in the in the world. Amazing women, and uh, yeah, and um, it's been it's been tricky. Um, Ruby had a, a slightly early entry to the world and a slightly rocky start, but she's doing really well now and she's joined by her brother Ziggy and, uh, and that's why I sound so tired. But also, reading reading on Doctored, I mean, is it fair to say you're a slight hypochondriac? Um, I, I think... Uh, I think it's more that I don't like going to doctors, and so okay. I don't. Okay. So, like, um, so I'll ignore almost anything from a bladder stone to a spinal injury, and 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 more than anything, my my mental health. But um, but this was this was this was uh, something that ha- had to involve a doctor because it you know it wasn't working for us uh, naturally, me and my husband, <laughs> and so uh, and so yeah, this this was an unavoidable trip to the doctors. But what are you like as a dad? Are you very Oh, 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 what's that? What's that? Are you very spooked the whole time? I'm trying not to be like my dad, who was also a doctor. And I think I got eight minutes off school for uh, my entire school career. I've got a slightly um, big scar on my forehead from a ham-fisted childhood repair of a head injury. Had I needed dialysis at some point, he'd have had to bash at it. So (laughs) I'm trying to not be my kid's doctor and just be their parent. And we've only been to A&E once in seven months which i think is a pretty good batting average that doesn't sound bad but they're not walking yet are they <laughs> then they're, no they're not they're not walking yet they're still at the slight potato stage where they're just sort so of like that did you just drop them <laughs> so, yeah. no no i didn't i did not do that no um, have i stumbled upon a truth no moving on uh, so congratulations that, that was the other thing uh, i forgot to say congratulations how lovely uh, two little kids in your life thank you very um, much at the beginning of the book you say a thing about uh, oh you know, now yet again, friends and family are going to be finding out things about me for the first time in a book. And I thought, oh, that's sweet. They'll find out you you shoplifted or something. But actually, the, the, there are some very dark things in the book. And, you know, I don't want to, to give anything away, but the are those the things you're referring to? The Those those really dark chapters? Are, they, are those the things that people discovered in the book for the first time? They they are. Uh, it doesn't reflect very well on me, and uh, I now go around telling people they need to you know need to open up and talk about the mental health. But the truth is, I'm not particularly good at it, and not just my 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 friends and my family, but my my husband found out um, some you know some pretty rough stuff that had happened earlier in my life by my, by reading the first draft of the of the book. But I think. Writing stuff down's been the way I've been best at coping with stuff. So this is going to hurt, even though it's a you know predominantly funny book, as you know as, as Undoctored also is. Uh, I I use humour to deal with some of the the tough stuff, 
and uh, yeah, that's that's how I process it. Is that how the diary started, as a kind of way of making sense of it? I think so. I don't quite know why I thought I was writing this stuff down originally, but in retrospect, it was my way of, you know, looking for the light amongst the dark, I think. And I, and I still keep diaries, and it's still my, my, you know, my confidant. Are those kids going to be reading about themselves in about a year and a half? Oh, I'm going to monetize <laughs> them absolutely and mercilessly, yeah. The, the running costs of these kids are pretty, pretty high. Clothes and formula and everything. So, yeah, so they need to, unless they're going to be like models, uh, then, then, then they're going to have to appear in some books. Uh, yeah, or on stage at Edinburgh. If you want, if you want to meet Adam's children. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that won't happen. Uh, so uh, let's remind everybody that you're going to the Pleasance uh, up in Edinburgh on, for the whole of the month. You're going for the whole of the month of uh, August and the book... Uh, out on Doctored is in paperback now. Uh, tickets, by the way, you can get at adamk.co.uk. Uh, thank you so much for coming to see us, Adam, and congratulations on all your success and, and being a dad. I'm so happy for you. Thanks so much, Graham. See you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Now, I said this wouldn't happen, but I should not have doubted the professionalism and dedication of our very own Ricky Wilson, who joins us now live from Glastonbury. Hello. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. I assumed you'd be lying face down in a ditch, but listen to you. Up bright and early to talk to us. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been up really early because, you know, I've got, I've got twin one-year-olds. And um, so I get up about half five every day. And I'm trying, I'm, I'm getting up like half seven here. And that's a lion. So it's, it's actually, I'm, I'm quite bright and cheerful. It must be quite weird walking through Glastonbury at half seven in the morning or lots of the kind of, are they up all night? Uh, I think it kind of shuts down around six in the morning. So, you know, I, I, I like to get early to tidy up as well because, you know, someone has to tidy up at night. Of, co- of course, somebody's got to tidy up Glastonbury. So, uh, highlights so far, Ricky. What have you seen? What have you loved? Highlights so far. Uh, Lizzo last night was amazing. That was joyous, incredible. Uh, I, I actually really liked Tom Grennan as well. I thought he was a lot of fun. And uh, who else? Lewis Capaldi. Um, we've been talking a lot about him. He was, he was, he was great. It was a real yeah, moment. It was a really... What, isn't it funny that people can spend all that money on kind of surprise guests and production and everything, and then just a spontaneous moment like that happens, and it just... Exactly. Yeah, so lovely. Exactly. I mean, I am, I am enjoying myself, but it's very different being in a crowd of people not paying you much attention. I, I do like being looking at crowds who are all like looking at me, uh, and I'm not. I'm not sure I enjoy festivals as much not being the centre of attention. I'm, yes. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a culture shock for myself. Um, and uh, now, so what is, is there like a, have you all got an, is it like going to the Edinburgh Fringe where you all got a booklet and it tells you who's on what stage when? How does it work? How do you all know? Right, I think that people fall into two camps. Uh, the people that literally walk around with like a, a map wallet around their neck going, we must be here at 3.15, we must then, we like, like they plan it like a military operation. I'm the kind of, let's just see where we end up, all right? And yesterday, I went to the healing field, uh, and I know that's that, I'm quite cynical about things like that. And one of my highlights was I had a two-hour nap by accident uh, under a tree, and it was, it was, it was, it was marvellous. I, I can really recommend daytime napping. <laughs> that does sound really lovely. Um, <laughs> 
uh, the highlight tonight is obviously going to be uh, Sir Elton John is his last mm-hmm. ever gig. Who's do you know who's on at the same time as Elton? I have no idea. Oh, dear. I feel very, poor, I feel poor very them. sorry for them. Yeah. Well, no, I haven't even bothered looking. I'm <laughs> definitely going to see Elton. Um, uh, and, uh, and there's lots of rumours about, but I've yes. started most of them. So, <laughs> well, Ricky Wilson's, going going to, Ricky Wilson's going to be appearing on stage with him. <laughs> yeah, you'll never guess who I've seen. You know, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but no, I've, I've heard lots of rumours, but I don't think it really it's not like Elton needs the support, is it? It's not like rules. We don't have the not Because um, I heard a rumour that Britney Spears is going to be helicoptered in. Is that true? Uh, I've heard that rumour too. I've heard Taryn, uh, uh, Taryn Edgerton. Or Edgerton. That seems more achievable. <laughs> and also, I've actually had eyes on him. So there you go. Oh, so he he's there. He's there. He's there. He's there. And are you staying? Are you staying tomorrow? Or are you kind of jetting out uh, the, the minute? Well, Elton's I, well, I, have, I have a radio show tomorrow, so oh. I'm, I, I, I'm getting up bright and early tomorrow and, and driving back to London. And hopefully, I get there for four o'clock. You will, you will. And by the way, because I, I mention them sometimes on the radio, but I never get to thank you personally for the lovely drawings you leave for me. They're so oh. good. And if, if, <laughs> if, if I hadn't thrown them all away, there'd be a book in them. Uh, <laughs> I, I, just, I just assumed they'd be on your fridge. <laughs> yeah. How big do you think my fridge is? <laughs> they are lovely and they are appreciated. As is you uh, talking to us on the phone today. Thank you so much, Ricky, for taking some time out. Uh, go oh, back, enjoy, stumble around and uh, and wave at Sir Elton for us tonight. I, have a, yeah, I hope he waves back. All right. Have a great time. Um, bye then, bye. <gasps> That music can mean only one thing. It's competition time! Yes, and we're playing What's in the Waitrose Hessian Bag. Yeah, that's what the competition's called. Back off. That's what we've called it, yeah. Uh, Waitrose are back with new lower prices on hundreds of your favourites. And to help you with your shop, we are hoping to give away somebody uh, up to £250 to spend at Waitrose. Uh, So you're playing What's in the Waitrose Hessian Bag. Uh, What's in it is there's uh, essential Waitrose beef mints, there's Valencia orange ice lollies, cherries, shortbread, cherry vine tomatoes, Greek yoghurt, feta, salmon fillets, ripe avocado, bread rolls... And all of those products are on the wheel. Martha's going to spin. Now, whichever one of those products you land on, you're in with a chance of winning £100. Okay, £100 waitress voucher. One of them, you could win a £250 waitress voucher. So there's a little question attached to each one. So let's find out who's playing. I believe it's a Rosie. Hello, Rosie. Oh, hello there. I wasn't quite expecting my voice to be on the radio. But now, look, it is. Uh, well done for texting in. You text in, Wheel, and here you are. Uh, where in the world are you, Rosie? In rural Bedfordshire. Beautiful. And uh, what are you doing this sunny Sunday? Oh, really exciting stuff. We hired a van yesterday to bring my son back from uh, university, and <laughs> we are unloading it. But my son has gone to a concert. Of course he has, you fools. Well, uh, whatever you win, he can have none of it. None of it. It's just good adult fare you'll be bu- uh, buying at Waitrose. Uh, all right, Rosie, are you ready? Yes, I hope so. Okay. Uh, Martha, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to spin. Oh, she's flexed. She's flexed. Uh, okay. Do, do we? Use, do you want to tell us what, what we're hoping to get? Because one of them is £250, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. Today's £250 prize is cherries. 
Cherries. Okay, mm. so we're hoping for cherries, but anything you land on is a possible £100 shopping voucher. Off you go, Martha. Right, spin, spin, spin. Oh, oh, that's such a satisfying sound, isn't it? It's spinning. It's spinning. Spinning where it lands. Nobody knows. It stopped. Are we ready? Yeah. You have won cherry vine tomatoes. Oh, yes. so close. So close. <laughs> so close. You, I mean, don't worry, you don't get... I mean, you can get cherry vine tomatoes if you want. But, Rosie, you are now playing for £100 to spend at Waitrose. OK, now I've got to find the question related to cherry vine tomatoes. Here we go. OK, here we go. <clears throat> All right. Rosie, it's a multiple-choice question. Multiple-choice question. Who had a hit in the 60s with Heard It Through the Grapevine? Marvin Gaye. One of my friend's favourites. And mine, actually. Okay, well, I'll I'll give you your choices. A, Marvin Gaye. (laughs) B, Robbie Williams. C, The Beatles. Uh, Rosie seems very confident. Let's see if she's won £100 to spend at Waitrose. She has! Oh, well done, Rosie. I mean, what a lovely thing. You just send a text, now you're on the radio, and now you've got £100 to spend at Waitrose. You've still got a van to unload, but uh, we, yeah, I'm afraid... I I'm not. I'm not going to help you with that. Is there anyone yeah, you'd like to say... Is there, is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio? Yes, to my lovely son, Edward, for abandoning his parents, my lovely husband, Paul, and for my daughter, Alice, who, as another fellow student, is also asleep. And to my brother, Mark, up in Lincolnshire, who's been on his son's stag, stag weekend. It's quite the weekend. And now, let's hear it for Rosie, who's got the family an extra £100 to spend at Waitrose. Well done, you. Uh, thank you so much thank for playing, you. Rosie. Take care of yourself. Well, thank right. you. Don't work too hard. Bye. No. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye, 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 bye. That's us for now. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. And make sure you're up to date with all of our goings on at Virgin Radio UK on all of our socials. I'll be chatting to you very soon. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Virgin Radio.